Hey, everybody, welcome in to a Sunday sermon. I don't do these very often anymore, and so forgive me if I am a little rusty, which I probably will be. Um, we've had a difficult weekend. Um, I hope you had a better one. Uh, on Friday, our puppy that we've had, well, dog that we've had for several years, uh, had to be put down at the vet. He was just miserable, advanced heartworms, and really bad shape, had been pulling out clumps of his hair, and our 12-year-old Jackson was uh, devastated. So um, that was Friday. Um, hurt my shoulder digging the hole to bury him, and then went and drove to Birmingham to, uh, yesterday to help my mom move to her new house. Congratulations, mom. Very proud of you. Um, so I hope your weekend's been better than that. I'm looking forward to a great Sunday. I hope you are too. But I was in the car for 10 hours yesterday by myself, and um, that what happens to old preachers uh, when they don't preach anymore, when they go on long drives by themselves, is they start um, thinking through um, messages, I guess, to share. And so um, I kind of felt like God and I were in a conversation yesterday, and I took notes, and I'm going to share them with you. I want to start off by saying I'm not a guru, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a pastor anymore, I'm certainly not a therapist or a psychologist. Um, so if you need any of those, um, look elsewhere, but I, I'm just a fellow traveler with you, uh, who took some good notes, I think yesterday, um, at stoplights and in the Taco Bell drive-thru. So we'll see how this turns out, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, before we get into it, I want to mention Parenting Deconstructed. Uh, this was one of the highlights of Brandy and I's year last year. We got to compile the book that we needed when we were deconstructing our faith. Uh, we didn't know where to turn. How do you adjust your parenting style and your parenting methods in light of spiritual deconstruction? There were no answers. And so we asked several of our brilliant friends to contribute a chapter. Uh, they did. It became this book, Parenting Deconstructed. I wrote the introduction and an afterward. Choir published it back in November. It's got contributions from Derek Day, Ben DeLong, Phil Drysdale, Matthew J. DeStefano, Elizabeth and Christopher Aker, Carl and Laura Forehand, Keith Giles, Dr. Mark Karras, Joshua Lawson, Jonathan Puddle, John Turney, and December Rose Waddleton. And Brandy edited it and did a fantastic job. So Parenting Deconstructed is the name of the book. It's been available since November. Several of you have already gotten a copy of it, but I wanted to mention that. Um, we don't get any money from this book. All proceeds, uh, all author royalties from this book will go to help provide therapy for abused and neglected children because uh, God knows evangelicalism, which I was a proponent of for more than 20 years in the church, has certainly wreaked havoc um, with the psychological well-being of a generation, and we have a responsibility to do something about that. And so that's why we did Parenting Deconstructed, and I hope you'll get a copy of it if you haven't already. A couple of other books I want to put on your radar this week. Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton is incredible. If you haven't got it yet, please do. It's number one in a whole bunch of categories on Amazon because it's it's just really that good. I'd love to hold up a physical copy. I read it on Kindle, so I don't have a physical copy but you need to get that book. It's incredible. Um, it's an awakening. And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is awakening. So I really encourage you to get that book. Also, another book that I want to drop on your radar, it's not out yet. April the 18th was the last release date that I heard for a book called Too Much and Not Enough by Karen Schock. It is so good, it will blow your freaking mind. 
And so I cannot wait for that one to be released. We'll be having a conversation with Karen on the Messy Spirituality Podcast coming up soon. So I hope that you will tune in for that and get a copy of that book. It's incredible. Today, I want to talk to you about Jesus the mystic. The first century hearers of the teachings of Jesus, the ones he was talking to when he said all the things that we've tried to live our lives by, did not see him as this religious icon that he has become today. That came later. They were looking at this Galilean, uh, the carpenter's kid. He had brothers and sisters. He had a mom. He had a, a dad. He had all the things that you and I have. He had the temptations. He went to the bathroom. He had his favorite foods to eat. He was more like us than we've ever thought. Um, what religion has done since the time when Jesus walked the earth is take him and make him into this religious icon that is used so often in religion to, to inspire fear, um, doubt, insecurity, and all that comes with that. So I want to just start off this morning by, let's just say a few things together um, to start us off separating ourselves from that fear and insecurity. Uh, I know that this, this one's going to be woo-woo, all right? I'm just telling you right now, you're talking about Jesus the mystic. It's going to be woo-woo. If you're one of my Baptist people, one of my church people, um, I love you. I will always consider myself part of your family. I hope you will too, but this one's going to be woo-woo. Please stick with me till the end because I think you're going to like where we end up. But we're going to start off by saying some things to ourselves to separate ourselves from the fear and the insecurity that we've lived with um, in religion. So I don't know what you need to say to yourself. Usually it starts off by saying something like, I am enough. Because religion teaches you you're not enough, that you're dirty, you're broken, you're flawed, you're, you inherited sin, original sin by default, none of which Jesus ever said. And so maybe you just need to say to yourself, I am enough. You know, we were created in the image of God. Doesn't mean you look like him physically. You're creating his image. What is the essence of God? The essence of God is love. You were made from love. You came from love. You were created for love, and we're all working our way back to love. Love is what the whole thing is about. And now in our lifetimes, we get caught up in so many things that have nothing to do with love, right? And so we need to remind ourselves, I am love. So I am enough. I am love. I am peace. I am capable. Say those things to yourself. Make those things your morning mantra, separating yourself from the fear and insecurity that wreak havoc with our lives. And, and listen, you may need to go to a therapist. Jesus and therapy, you can have both. Uh, I, Jesus and Lexapro have worked well for me. I hope uh, if you need medication, if you need therapy, I hope that you'll take advantage of those things as well. Sometimes a mantra is not enough, but it helps us. It helps to remind yourself who you are. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But um, I think we have to be able to separate Jesus, the teacher, walking around Israel, dropping nuggets of universal timeless wisdom from the religious icon. Now, both can be true, but the people who heard him originally were not hearing him through the filter we hear him from, which is our religious upbringing that told us what he meant. 
And so often what we were told he meant has nothing to do with what he said. And so we're going to talk about a few of the things Jesus said, these mystical sayings, these timeless truths. Jesus was raised in awareness of lots of other teachers that had been teaching lots of wisdom before he came. And some of the things that he said were downright quotes from previous teachers that came before him. And so we need to be able to hear his words and the challenge they represent to the life that we live in our culture today and the challenge they represented to the culture he was speaking to back then. But we've got to separate Jesus, the teacher, from the religious icon. So Jesus did not, as, as I'm sure you've heard, it's a cliche at this point, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He never said anything about starting a new religion. He didn't say you need to leave Judaism and go do this. No, he's saying whatever your context is, you can become a, a better human. You are better than you realize. And he called something out that was all, always in there. He came to teach us a new way to be human, a better path forward for humanity. See, Jesus knew who we really are. Richard Rohr says that a, mess, a mystic is someone who sees the whole, not just in parts. See, this is where we lose the plot. We see one part of the story. Maybe it's the story of your life, and you see the season that you're in, and you can't move past it. Or maybe the season you were in that was devastating, and you can't move beyond it. Jesus saw the big picture. Mystics see the big picture. And when they see the big picture, they're not defined by any one season or one piece of the jigsaw puzzle because they know that we're working towards the picture on the box. So a mystic is someone who sees in whole, not in part, and that's Jesus. And so when Jesus says to Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, you must be born again, I don't think he's talking about a religious conversion. I think he's describing an awakening. I think he's describing the lights coming on spiritually, maybe for the first time in your life. Maybe you had it when you were a baby and before you learned how to talk. Uh, there's, there's an old story that, that I love where a little two, two or three-year-old sister uh, goes into the baby's room while the baby's sleeping. And mom and dad are watching on the baby cam. And the little sister climbs up in the crib and gets in the bed with the newborn baby and says, quick, tell me what God's like before you forget. Wow. Maybe we all came into this world knowing more than we think we know now about who God is, about God being love and God being good, and about us being expressions of God's love in the earth. Maybe. We're born in better shape than religion has taught us we were and convinced us otherwise. Um, you see a lot of great videos on YouTube. I I'm becoming kind of a YouTube junkie. Uh, I actually even joined TikTok the other day. Um, not me personally, but some uh, media work that Brandy and I are going to be doing in the near future. Um, because I, I love these little reels, these little videos of, uh, you know, Mr. Beast recently, the 
world famous according to my son I, i've never heard of him but uh, according to my son this guy is a huge youtuber makes millions of dollars creating content on youtube uh he did he took some of the money he made from youtube and sponsorships and helped provide a thousand cataract surgeries for people whose cataracts were obstructing their vision they couldn't see clearly and uh, the, there's an amazing video where you just see the bandages coming off and the lights coming on. And you see these people who could not see, could not read, could not see clearly for so many years with tears streaming down their face because the lights came on again. We all love those videos right on Instagram and Facebook where the little kids getting their cochlear implant turned on for the first time and suddenly they can hear their mother's voice for the first time and maybe in their lives and when that comes on the tears just begin to flow for me right because it's a beautiful thing when somebody hears their mother's voice for the first time what if that's what Jesus was talking about when he said you must be born again when the lights come on spiritually when you recognize the voice of God, when you know that love incarnate is speaking to you and you are an expression of that love in the world today, when you realize who God is, when you realize who you are, the lights come on. Maybe the first time in your life that you recognize the lights have come on. That's what Jesus, I believe, is talking about when he says, you've got to be born again. There needs to be an awakening an awakening. And it breaks my heart. Now I'm going to get political for just a moment. If you hate this, I'm sorry. I promise it will not last, but just a couple of minutes, but there, uh, I live in Florida. In Florida, there is a huge anti-woke agenda, right? And so many Republicans and conservatives, uh, which I was a part of that family for longer than I care to admit. Uh, so I completely understand if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, I am one of your people, I promise you, but the lights came on and I can't go back. Living in denial of systematic injustices or systemic injustices that have been done to people of color is not conservative. Doing away with laws that have protected people of color and their rights is not conservative. The whole anti-woke agenda, I really just want to ask Governor DeSantis, who talks about Florida being the place where woke comes to die. I want to ask him, has he ever asked an African-American senior citizen what that word means to them? Because the African-American senior citizens that I have spoken to who have talked to me about what the word woke means... It was about being careful. It was about recognizing that the world is not fair. It was about recognizing systemic injustice that is not just happening because the system is broken. It's because the system was built this way. And so they would say to one another back in the civil rights movement, when they were still being lynched and imprisoned for trying to vote, when they would go to a white area of town they would say to one another, stay woke. Pay attention, be careful, stay woke. And so what the hell are we saying when we say I'm anti-woke? Florida's where woke goes to die. 
What are we, are we having clan rallies here now? What does that mean? When Jesus says you must be born again, he's saying, wake up. There is a whole reality that we have lived our lives ignorant of, and he wants to turn the lights on for us. But this anti-woke agenda is the opposite of everything Jesus taught. But we're doing it in his name. We call it conservative Christian. When it really has nothing to do with that, it's Christian nationalism and it has nothing to do with Jesus. He said, you must be born again, not describing a religious conversion. He was not saying one day you will pray a prayer and ask me to forgive all your sins. Jesus never said anything like that. Nicodemus had an awakening. He knew that the essence of God was wrapped up in this man, this mystical teacher, Jesus. And Jesus was not dropping nuggets. He was dropping nuggets of God wisdom all over Israel. And Nicodemus had ears to hear and eyes to see. He had been enlightened from above. He had been born again. Another thing Jesus said, he said, if your eye is full of light, your whole body will be full of light because the eyes are the window of the soul. Now, this is where it's going to get a little woo-woo for some of you. Y'all stick with me. The eyes are the window of the soul. Basically, what Jesus is saying is your perception defines your reality. If you see yourself as not enough, you'll never be enough. If you see yourself as incapable, you'll never be capable. If you look for the blessing, the solution, the God in every moment, he will show you, he or she, I don't think God cares how you refer to God, will show you the timeless wisdom of the universe in every obstacle. If you look for obstacles so they can be your excuse not to ever make progress, then you'll find them. Because the eye is the window of the soul. Whatever you let in is going to flood your being. And so, But if you're looking for the way out of every pit, even the ones we dig for ourselves, then you'll find it. Abraham Lincoln is attributed to have said, I don't think he actually said this, but the quote is attributed to Lincoln. If you look for the bad in mankind, hoping to find it, you always will. Isn't that what religious, religion teaches us to do? to look for the bad in mankind, hoping to find it. Looking for the depravity, looking for the... Listen, Fox News is good at this. MSNBC can be good at it too on the other side, right? We've got to start looking with kingdom eyes rather than through our political agendas. Looking for the child of God inside everyone who's not like us. And if our eyes are the window of the soul, if our eyes are full of light, then our whole body, our whole being becomes full of light. When we look at the world with hope, we become vessels of hope. When we look at the world with compassion, we become vessels of compassion. Jesus also said, whatever you sow, that's what you'll reap. Now, prosperity pre preachers have taken this and made it all about money. I don't, I don't think uh, there may be an application there, but I don't think that's entirely what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, if you sow love, you're going to reap love. If you sow forgiveness, 
you're going to reap forgiveness. Now, we're going to talk about forgiveness in a minute because forgiveness becomes the thing that puts a stopper in our spirit, that keeps um, our new eyes from translating to our entire being. It keeps our um, the windows from letting the light in. And so we're going to talk about that in a minute. But you sow love, you reap love. You sow forgiveness, you'll get forgiveness. If you sow peace, you're going to reap peace. If you become an agent of peace, you cannot help but to receive it in return. If you sow dignity, especially to people on the margins of society and culture, then you're going to reap dignity. You're going to be held in high esteem. And then Jesus, he takes takes these timeless nuggets of universal wisdom, and he makes them so personal to a group of people who were living under Roman occupation. Jesus says, love your enemies. Never return evil for evil. Now, he was living basically in a culture that would be like if Chinese soldiers with machine guns were standing at every corner in the United States and resentment was brewing, which of course it would. You know, Bubba and Larry and Junior with the guns um, would be just waiting for an opportunity to exact their revenge, to take their country back through violent means if necessary if there were Chinese soldiers with machine guns on every corner. Well, that's how the Jews of Jesus' day felt. And what did Jesus say? Oh, yeah, you got a Second Amendment right to have whatever guns you want. No, that's not what he said. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. He said, lay down your weapons because those whoever whoever lives by the sword will die by the sword. That was a challenge to his culture. That was hard. Jesus was nonviolent. Why? Because the cycle has to end somewhere. Maybe that's the real lesson of the cross, that Jesus loved the world so much at representing God's love for the world so much that they killed him for it. He was dangerous to the people in power, and so they murdered him, and with His dying breath says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the gospel. That the cycle can end with us. That we do not have to continue this cycle of escalating violence. We can let it end with us. You want to see a beautiful picture of that world. uh, I'm sorry, of that mindset at work in the world today, talk to the children of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His daughter, who's running the King Center in Atlanta, is such an agent of nonviolence. Their dad was murdered in public for the world to see, but they continue to preach his message of nonviolence. That's the type of follower Jesus wants, not the type that just keeps the sayings of Jesus that empower the life we want to live, but takes those confrontational words that teach us to love our enemies while they've got a machine gun pointed at our head. Now, listen, when Jesus said, love your enemies, he's not talking about warm, fuzzy feelings. Sometimes I think we don't know what love means. I don't think he's talking about the warm fuzzies. Oh, have the warm fuzzies for your enemies. No, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he's saying, choose the common good 
in spite of the violence. Choose to be an agent of peace in spite of the chaos. Choose to be an agent of love in spite of all the hate. Transcend your religious upbringing and your political indoctrination and become an agent of love revolution in the world today. When he says love your enemies, he's not talking about affection. He's talking about doing what's best for society, even those who are tormenting you. Make the world a better place. Make earth more like the heaven Jesus or the kingdom Jesus talked about. So much that it will benefit the people who are opposing you. That's what it looks like to love our enemies. Now, forgiveness, like I said, becomes the stopper where our our soul gets stopped up and the light can't translate from our eyes to our being. Why? Because we can't let go of things that happen to us. Let me share a little quote with you that has redefined forgiveness for me. And again, this is where it gets woo-woo. Heard this from Oprah. Some of y'all may not like that, but um, Dr. Gerald Jampolsky says that forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could be any different. It doesn't mean having warm fuzzies about the person who hurt you. It doesn't mean that you're going to welcome them back into your life with open arms. It doesn't mean you're ever going to have anything to do with that people, uh, that person or those people or that situation ever again. Forgiving means accepting reality as it is. Accepting the circumstances, the pain as it is. You stop hoping that you could change it and you let go. That is forgiveness. And when we can learn to forgive, maybe it's that religious upbringing that indoctrinated you to see things in such a toxic way. We can let go of that. Yeah, we were raised that way. We were. Nothing we can do about that now, but we can stop wishing we could change it, accept it as it is, and start to heal. Now, listen, I understand that so many of you watching today have experienced unimaginable pain that I cannot even comprehend. And I am not saying you need to have warm, fuzzy feelings about that rapist or that boss that took advantage of you or about the circumstances of your upbringing, the abuse you suffered as a child. There is no excuse for those things. The injustice that you suffered at a society that was built with the deck stacked against you. I'm not telling you to have warm, fuzzy feelings about the people. I'm saying, if you stop hoping that you could change the past, you can change the present. You can start living in this new reality now. See, unforgiveness, bitterness locks us into a previous situation where we don't live anymore. And so we can choose to live in today. We can choose to be who Jesus says we are. We can be these agents of love. Why? Because we sow love. We sow forgiveness. We sow peace. We sow dignity. And we can become agents of the kingdom by living in that new reality that we've been awakened to. How do we do that? Well, first, you got to find your place of surrender. 
surrender, um, as Rich Mullins said, doesn't come natural to me. I hate surrender. I don't like change of any kind. I will just tell you, when I was a kid, I used to watch that show Dallas. Y'all remember Dallas? Well, for a little while, the original actress who played Miss Ellie on Dallas left the show. She left for a season or two. She was replaced by Donna Reed, who was a fantastic actress, America's sweetheart back in the day. I hated it because I don't like change. Every time we moved as a kid, I hated it because I don't like change. Um, every time I've moved as an adult, I hated it because I don't like change. Here's what had to happen for me to find my place of surrender. I had to follow um, the lead of a visionary that God gave me in the form of my wife. Because Brandy, when we got married 15 years ago, happy anniversary coming up soon. See you on the cruise. Um, 15 years ago, when we got married, uh, it was a chaotic world for us. We'd both been through horrible, messy divorce, um, to our first marriages. We had these kids. We were trying to make a family. She was a beach person. I was a mountain person. I wanted to go to Gatlinburg. She wanted to go to the beach. Well, we went to the beach more than we went to Gatlinburg because, um, I wanted her to be happy. Now that's not saying she didn't want me to be happy. She did, but I cared more about her happiness than I do my own. So we followed her lead on that. Fast forward several years. The last church that I tried to plant ran out of money, shut down, broke my heart. I still struggle with that. I was really close yesterday. I was helping my mom move. I was really close to that building and it was really tempting to go by and see the building, but I, I just didn't want to put myself through that again. And so I didn't do it, but there I was in, in the rubble of professional ministry. And this thought came to me, you know, you've chased your dream and your life for so long. Maybe you could trace chase Brandy's dream now. And so I told Brandy, I said, why don't you go down to the beach? Uh, we had vacationed at Destin near Seaside. I said, why don't you go down there and scout out the area, see if you can find a house and we will move down there because there's no reason we have to be here in Birmingham anymore. And so she did. She came down, brought one or two of the kids for the weekend, um, came back <laughs> with a lease signed. <laughs> we were ready to move. And so we ended up moving to the beach um, back in 2019. That was, I didn't know it at the time, but that was my surrender moment. And I'm so glad we did. I cannot imagine having lived through COVID where we lived before. But do you know what happened on the beach? I've, been, I've always been horrible at meditation. I'm horrible at prayer, to be honest with you. I just don't have a mind that sits still very long. But do you know what I learned after moving to the beach? We'd go to after work, we'd go to the beach and watch the sunset. So much so that it became a resolution of mine a year or two ago to watch as many sunsets as possible that year. And so we'd go to the beach, we'd set up our beach chairs, and we'd watch the sun go down on the beach. And you know what I learned? While watching the sunset at the beach, I learned meditation. That was my meditation. That's where I plugged in to peace. And so that was my place of surrender was just plugging into serenity, watching the sun go down at the beach. And I did that for two years. What's your place of surrender? Where do you plug in? Where do you find peace? 
Make it a habit to plug into peace every day. Secondly, remind yourself who you are. With those mantras that we started with at the very beginning of this talk, I am. Whatever follows I am will become your reality. I am enough. Say it to yourself. If it's hard to say it, that just means you need to say it more. I am enough. I am love. I am peace. Maybe you are encountering a situation at work or wherever, and you don't know how you're going to pull off the expectations. Maybe it's raising your kids. I don't know what it is. Say this to yourself. I am capable. But just like we plug into serenity at our place of surrender, whatever that is in your life, and we remind ourselves who we are. We also have to unplug from the toxic, right? And so if you, if you work in a toxic workplace, try to find your way out. Try to, try to find, I'm not saying quit your job, be irresponsible, throw your life away. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying sacrifice the well-being of your spouse and your kids. I'm saying look for the escape. There, the universe, God, the kingdom will provide if you have eyes to see it, look for it. God does not want you in a toxic workplace that refuses to change. So look for the exit and, and you're going to find it. And then finally, stop waiting until you feel ready to be this kingdom person that God created you to be before the foundation of the world. Stop waiting till you feel ready. There's a good chance you're ready right now. I believe you are. I believe you're ready to sow love, sow forgiveness, sow peace, sow dignity. I believe you're ready to be an agent of change on this earth. I believe that we all have a mystical capability of seeing the kingdom at work around us and being a part of the solution for the world. I believe we can be followers of Jesus, the mystic. If you've stuck with me for 36 minutes of this message, then there's a reason for that. You are one of the Jesus people. You hear a different sound. Jesus told you to be born again, and you heard a sound from above that sounded like home. And you said, I want more of that. And so now it's time to get intentional about plugging into your place of surrender, reminding yourself who you are until you really believe it. And stop making excuses for why you can't do something you were probably ready to do years ago. You know, not feeling ready becomes the get out of jail free card for every procrastinator. Don't use that as your excuse to miss it. The universe is working in your favor. God has rigged the universe so that all things work to the good of those who love the light. So let your eyes fill up with his glorious light. Let it flood every fiber of your being. And follow Jesus, not the religious icon, but the mystical teacher who challenges us to love our enemies, to forgive those who've hurt us, and to be agents of change in a world that's desperately looking for change. Now, I don't know what it is you're good at, but there's something you were born to do. I remember an old preacher named Lester Summerall who said, find out what you were born to do and do it until you die. I think all of us have a sneaking suspicion of what we were born to do, but we don't embrace it because we're afraid. What if I try and I fail? What if that's what I'm for and I never try? 
you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Wayne Gretzky slash Michael Scott. That becomes our excuse to just never try. Well, this is, this is me. This is who I am. And I don't even know what you call this, but this is who I am. And this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. What are you here for? What are you here to do? What is the sound that you make that is missing from the world because you've been afraid to say it out loud? Are you a writer? Are you a teacher? Are you a lover? You know, again, go to that place of surrender. Give it up. If, if, it's, if, it, if you're afraid it's just your human egotistical vision, give it up and see if it comes back to you. I had a, um, the last couple of years, I, I really didn't feel like I was good at much of anything. But do you know what I found out I was pretty good at? I'm pretty good at being Brandy's husband. I'm pretty good at bringing her coffee in the morning. I can make her grits in a way that she likes better than the one grits she makes. So I'll just do that. Over this last year, as our kids are growing up and moving out, you know what I'm realizing? I can be a pretty good parent to grown-up kids. I can do that. So I'm just going to do that. I can talk with a camera turned on. I'll just do that. But while I'm doing that, I want to sow love. I want to sow forgiveness. I want to sow peace. I want to sow dignity. I want to be a part of the solution and not continue being part of the problem. I hope you'll join me. We're going to post this video on YouTube a little later today. When we do, we're going to put some suggested reading. I hope you'll look for those books and um, find out more about this mystical Jesus and who he calls us to be. I hope you have a great week, a great day. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Whether you're watching on Facebook, please leave a comment. Let me know you're here. Let me know it's meaningful to you. If this meant something to you, let me know, and I'll do more of them. If it didn't, then <laughs> I'll just keep bringing Brandy her coffee in the morning, and that's okay. That's good. Uh, if you're on YouTube, check out those show notes. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, check out the show notes. You're going to find links to books that will help you make this transition from reading Jesus as a religious icon to hearing him as a first century hearer would hear him as a mystical teacher. Thanks so much for being with me. I'm so grateful that you're here. And I don't just mean that for this video. I'm so grateful that you're here. We love you. We believe in you. And we know your greatest days are yet to come. Don't give up.